right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. And I am excited to share some uh, big news for my career, for uh, the future of my coverage here uh, on this podcast. I've been teasing this for a while, honestly, ever since, uh, well, a, a couple weeks ago when it became finalized, but I am really excited to announce that I am going full-time to cover the Denver Nuggets at Mile High Sports. This was a really big deal to me. I wanted some stability. I wanted some just a better opportunity to go full-time and make sure that I could cover this team and, and while also just supporting myself. Denver Stiffs means the world to me, as everybody knows, as everybody understands, given what I've contributed to that site over the course of the years. Uh, Harrison Fagan, who's the new uh, team editorial manager for all 30 teams, uh, he, in my farewell post, shared that I had posted 1,700 posts in six years, dating back to even before I was on the staff when I was just writing fan posts for Denver Stiffs. Uh, It was a while. It was a long, long time. I I first became a writer when I went to college, actually. Freshman year, I still wanted to write about the Nuggets. I had been hanging out of the comment sections for a while at Denver Stiffs and decided, hey, I want to write my own thoughts. I want to be able to share these thoughts. And Adam Morris at the time said, yeah, that's okay. Uh, I, I didn't get any like full page, front page stuff at that point, but I was... 18 years old. I wasn't really expecting to. And so I grinded for a while. Then I was picked up by Hoops Habit uh, over at Fansided and wrote for them for a little bit. And when the 2015-16 season ended, I was approached by Zach Mikosh, who recommended to me, hey, uh, you should come to Denver Stiffs and become become part of the writing team. And that was a really big opportunity for me because as somebody who went to college in University of South Carolina, I didn't know what I wanted to do other than that I wanted to work in sports. And when you say work in sports, a lot of times you have no idea what that means. It could be marketing. It could be ticketing. It could be uh, on the team side. It could be on the uh, the league side or, or other other categories. There are so many different ways to interact with the sports market. And so I found one way that was very unique. I decided to go into sports writing and covering the games and covering what was going on for the Nuggets team. Uh, I went to my first Stiffs Night Out for the 2016 draft, I'm pretty sure. I watched Jamal Murray getting selected seventh overall and was sitting in Oh gosh, it was Jake's Sports and Spirits at the time, and long gone now, but old Stiff's heads will remember that for sure. And up until that point, I was I was just still very new and had continued doing my thing uh, in college for a while. I became a team manager for University of South Carolina, the men's basketball team, and throughout all that, I was writing. I was writing for my sophomore, junior, senior years. Everybody like that that's followed me for a while knows this, that I was developing my craft. I was coming up through the ranks, basically. 
And then in 2019, when Adam decided to go to DNVR, at the time it was BSN Denver, he approached me and said, hey, I want you to run the site. I can't guarantee it because it's it's not his call in the end. But ultimately, I was given the okay to become the site manager for Denver Stiffs. And through those three years, I, I think I ran the site pretty well. 2019-20 season, I was very odd for several reasons, but the main one being that it didn't actually finish normally, had the bubble. And Denver, of course, had the bubble run, which was just incredible. It was an incredible uh, event to experience. And um, it's too bad that I wasn't there, but that was for very select media, for sure. Um, and then a couple seasons ago, 2021 season, Denver had the goods. They clearly were showing themselves and it was a playoff and championship contender, especially after the Aaron Gordon trade. And though things didn't go well with Jamal Murray going down and then this season, Michael Porter going down, Denver Stiffs went on. Denver Stiffs continued to work and I continued to work. I started this podcast, Pickaxe and Roll. I continued to write on the editorial side. And it's just a lot of, lot of content. And I ultimately decided that if I was going to do this full time, there were things that I needed to accomplish and certain benchmarks that I needed to be had. And when I thought about what my future was going to be, I realized that I still wanted to cover the nuggets. I've never made it um, unclear that I've been a fan during this process, that I want to continue supporting this team and like I want to see this thing through. Like I think that this is a very, very important year and probably a couple of years for this Nuggets team. And we've got the two-time MVP and a, a strong supporting cast when healthy behind it. I knew I wanted to stay local. That was one of my goals with this. And I approached Nate Lundy, who I've been working with, partnering with, for the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, and and he and I came to an agreement. Um, I wanted to stay at SB Nation. I wanted to stay with Denver Stiffs. That was my first desire. Uh, but ultimately, I decided to go to MHS. And I really do think that I can do a lot of the same things at, M- at MHS that I was doing for Denver Stiffs and be happy and be in a situation where I feel taken care of as a full-time media member. Uh, I'm really excited for this. You're going to get a lot of the same coverage from me, podcasts on on this podcast, editorials, coming out with one on Wednesday, Wednesday morning when you listen to this, that you should definitely go check out that I'm going to talk about in the second segment. Going to do gamers uh, rather than do the normal preview and recap setup like we were doing at Denver Stiffs. I'm going to start writing some gamers. I'm going to put on my my Mike Singer, Harrison Wind beat writer hat and do some of that in all likelihood. Going to write about some of the news and I'll probably hop on some radio spots for MHS as well. Uh, I'm planning on working hard. I've never not known how to work hard. And I think that that was my ethos with Denver Stiffs. And it's one of the reasons why I made a good site manager was the work was never really done in this business. And I just kept doing it, kept doing it over and over and over again. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for a long time. 
but ultimately, I, I knew that a change needed to be made at some point. And I do think that this is going to help me professionally. And I'm just really excited about the opportunity to work with Nate and also to work with some of the other teams and work with some of the other sports locally. I haven't done a good enough job of, of supporting the local teams and also supporting Denver in general. Uh, I'm really excited about the direction that Nate and Jeff Morton and Cody Rourke over with the Broncos and Drew Creaseman over with the Av or with the Rockies and uh, Arif over with the Avs. All of those guys are doing some fantastic things right now, and I'm just looking forward to being a part of it. And we're just going to have to see how this goes. Uh, I'll be around for at least the 2022-23 season, hopefully for longer than that. But this is my goal. My goal is to be here long term and make this something that I can uh, work at for a long time and continue to elevate the Mile High Sports brand. Uh, I wanted to stay local, as I said, and I think that this accomplishes that in a big way. And there are some creative freedoms that I can take that I'm just I'm really excited to go this direction. Should be a lot of fun. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the article that I'm posting on MHS about Denver revamping their defensive unit. We'll be right back. tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always on this program. If you can, now more than ever, now that this is going to be a, a permanent landing spot for me, if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast, five stars. That would be fantastic. Uh, my rating has dropped officially to a 4.9. Uh, it was at a at a 5.0 for a while, but I, I got that extra one-star review that uh, that really dragged it down. But it's it's perfectly fine. If, if anything, give me some four-star and three-star reviews too. That would be okay with me. All right. Let's talk about the defense. Let's talk about the Denver Nuggets now. I've been talking about myself for a lot of this, and I am going to talk about myself with the the article that I just dropped. Uh, it is my debut article at Mile High Sports. It would mean the world if you could go over and read that and share your thoughts online. Um, I think that Denver's goals in the offseason are pretty clear. And the first goal would be to get healthy because you can't win without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. At this point, given Denver's roster constraints, given what they're dealing with, those two guys are very important. You can build a good defense around those guys too. It's not like they can't do anything at all. But that trio Jokic, Murray, and Porter, they do definitely have some weaknesses. And Denver, they made it their their goal to shore up one of those weaknesses by adding Aaron Gordon. And though that trade looks not necessarily bad in hindsight, but it, it really created a new weakness for Denver uh, with their perimeter defense and their wing defense in general, uh, I do think that it is going to be a good fit in the long run as long as those guys are able to play together. And we're going to be able to see Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon again when they're sharing the court. Hell, we'll see Murray and Gordon and, and what they can do as a tandem. That should be very interesting. 
Uh, but I wanted to talk about the defense and I wanted to talk about how the defense can become playoff and championship caliber because right now we're seeing, I think it's the first and the second ranked defense or the second and the fourth, one of the one of those. We're seeing the top, I think it's the top two defenses in defensive rating in the NBA finals. Last year, uh, though the Milwaukee Bucks didn't rank super high on defensive rating, they were a good defense, and they were just experimenting with a lot of different things last year, uh, like switching and aggressive coverages and things like that. When they got back to their bread and butter, they were able to do that in the playoffs, but they were also able to do some of the stuff that they tried in the regular season, and they converted that to the playoffs, and it was the reason why they won a title. So I am very interested to see how Denver's going to handle becoming a better defense this offseason. And there are some things that they can do um, that won't – like it's it's pretty clear in my mind where, where some of the improvements have to come from. But better health won't solve everything. I, I've come up with four different areas where I think Denver has to get better. I think they have to have better defensive energy. And that's a pretty ambiguous term. I understand that. I think they have to have better personnel. I think they have to have better scheme. And I think they have to have better mentality. Better energy. Let's start with that. Denver ran out of gas once again in the first round of the playoffs. They could not keep up with the Golden State Warriors. And some of that was Nikola Jokic being a little bit slower of feet and him having to carry the entire offensive load for the entire season. And that sort of wore him down. And when you when you carry such a heavy load on the offensive end, it's hard to be a great defender. Like nobody carries a heavier offensive load than Nikola Jokic. Uh Trey Young, Luka Doncic, guys like that are candidates for that. But Jokic has to be banging with big bodies all the time. Those guys can at least stay on the perimeter a little bit. But the better energy comes from Denver getting a little bit more healthy and having a whole bunch of bodies that they can throw at uh, the opposition. Throughout the regular season, Denver sustained so many injuries, and it wasn't just to Murray and Porter, but it was also to P.J. Dozier and Vlaco Chanchar, and Bones Highland was in and out of the lineup, and Jamichael Green spent some time out of the lineup, and uh, there was just a lot of gaps in their rotation for much of the season. And what that did was it put a lot of stress on Will Barton, on Austin Rivers, on Monte Morris, on Jeff Green. Jeff Green played over 2,000 minutes this year. That was not expected. That was not something that I would have hoped for him to do. And he did it at 35 years old. That was bad. Denver needs better energy heading into the postseason. That means that they can't be struggling just to get wins in the regular season. They have to be good enough to not have to stress about it. And they probably will be, but it is a big point surrounding Murray and Porter coming back and just having a better luck with health this time around. Next, better personnel. I think that three different categories of personnel are where I would really end up focusing. Point of attack defender, wing defender, and mobile big man. 
Let's start with the point of attack defender. That makes the most sense. It was one of the big deficiencies for the Nuggets. I think Aaron Gordon was their their primary point of attack defender this year, which was stupid. He should be either a wing or a forward defender. Somebody who's defending those big bodies who can switch onto centers and things like that. Not necessarily having to defend the six foot two guards. Guys like Tyrese Maxey and Anthony Simons, and, and he can do those things, but it's not his primary skill set. It was misusing him for much of the year. Examples of point of attack defenders that Denver could try to get this offseason Gary Harris, Gary Payton II, DeAnthony Melton. That's the kind of tier that I'm looking at. Gary Payton II, obviously, at the top end of that tier, but maybe you could find a Gary Harris or a DeAnthony Melton, and those guys would certainly elevate the entire group. Next is the wing defender, the guy that can switch onto the true small forwards and the true point guards and be okay in either situation. Most of the time, he's going to be on the twos, on the threes, uh, but occasionally there will be some mismatches where he has to get switched onto somebody, and Denver's got to be better than Will Barton in that situation bigger than Bryn Forbes or even Austin Rivers, who isn't that big himself. Examples of this, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Amir Coffey, Derek Jones Jr. The wing defender category, there's definitely less there than there are point of attack defenders or mobile big men, which I'll talk about next. Uh, But I do think that getting a competent wing defender in the building, it's just so important for Denver. And whether that comes via trade or in free agency, or maybe in the draft. Denver has to satisfy that one more so than anything. Finally, the mobile big man. This is this is kind of a forward-thinking one, I will say, because DeMarcus Cousins finished the season pretty well with Denver. He had a successful playoff run. Jamichael Green was not good in either the playoffs or the regular season last year. There's no bones about it. But with Zeke Naji kind of being that traditional backup four is what I would call him, not truly a center, not truly a, a small forward or anything like that. He's kind of stuck in the middle. Denver needs a big, somebody that can be a little bit quicker afoot than Cousins or Jermichael Green. And Jermichael was pretty slow this year, and he also was six foot eight, so he couldn't necessarily match up with the taller players that he would face at the position. I remember a game against the Chicago Bulls where he should have been a good matchup, but Tony Bradley, Chicago's backup center, kicked his butt. And that's not good. That's a really, really bad situation for Denver. So Denver could improve in that category with guys like Mitchell Robinson, Nick Claxton, Chris Boucher, players of that nature. Now, you probably can't solve all of your issues. That is one thing that I think I should stress to Nuggets fans when they're trying to come up with offseason scenarios for Denver to try to trade. They might try to get one or two of those target areas done in the offseason, and then they'll, they'll go into the regular season, see how much the third category is needed, and then trade for that category if so. And that's probably okay, because as long as you bring in some good defensive personnel, then you're probably going to be fine. 
But I do think that it's going to take multiple players. It's going to take multiple new rotation players to be added to this group to tangibly improve Denver's defense. It wasn't just energy. It wasn't just health. Sometimes you just need better personnel. Two more things. You need better scheme. Denver was very unaggressive. And a lot of that had to do with not having a ton of energy. But I do think that they played too much drop coverage this past year, where Nikola Jokic kind of sags into the paint a little bit, or maybe he's at the elbow when you're running a a screen at the uh, at the the slot or somewhere around there on the wing. Jokic would be in the paint. And if the guard or Aaron Gordon was giving too much room to the ball handler, then they would have a pretty easy route to a comfortable spot on the floor. And whether that was all the way to the rim or whether that was dumping it off to the rolling big man or Maybe that big man was popping out to three, and Jokic would then have to close a ton of ground. Denver wasn't very good in those situations, and they I just think that they gave up too much with their scheme, and they're giving too much space in general. Not enough other coverages were mixed in. I think Denver should be blitzing a little bit more. They should be playing at the level more, but those are tiring. Those are exhausting during the year. And you probably can't do that if Jokic is going to be carrying the offensive load as much as he does. So I think Denver needs to manage that. They need to make sure that he's healthy and going into the playoffs fully energized. And if that means he plays 66 to 70 games as opposed to 74 to 78, then so be it. Got to rest him during the year. Got to make sure that he's good. And maybe you have other players like a Jamal Murray, like a Michael Porter, take on more of an offensive responsibility so that Jokic can practice some of these things in the regular season. Because I think that Denver does need to practice these rotations. It is not going to happen magically. It is not going to happen automatically. Denver has to get better at manifesting some of these defensive improvements because it isn't just going to be personnel. It's not just going to be energy. It's not just going to be scheme. It has to be all of it. It has to be a committed effort from the entire group. And finally, this is kind of the wrap up, better mentality. Denver was not a good defense last year. And the reason why wasn't necessarily because of the numbers. It wasn't necessarily because of anything massive. It was because other teams knew that they could score on Denver. They knew that they could get their shots. They knew they could get to their spots. Denver was not taking anything away, and they didn't make the opposing team work that hard, in all honesty. Denver has to have more quarters in them, especially third and fourth quarters, where they shut the door on the opposing team. I consider these 20 points or fewer, where... If you're Denver, you're probably going to average about 27 to 28 points every single quarter. If you can have a quarter in a game where you only allow 18 points and you score 28, that is such a big advantage, and it can turn what was a 5-point lead into a 15-point lead really quick. And against the best teams in the NBA, the margins matter there. 
Denver had 41 total quarters where they allowed 20 or fewer points last season. Boston had 58. The Warriors, they had 51. Now, that doesn't seem like a massive number in general or a massive difference in general, and it probably isn't in all honesty. The actual thing that Denver has really struggled with is eliminating the bad quarters, where the opposing team gets rolling, where Denver allows a crooked number. Denver had 128 total quarters where they allowed 30-plus points. The Celtics had just 87, 41 fewer. The Warriors had 97, 31 fewer. That is the primary difference between a good and a great defense. It is the willingness and the ability to eliminate the bad stuff and capitalize when the things are good. You you never want to give the Sacramento Kings a 30-point quarter. Why in the world would you do that? Sacramento's not that good. They don't have that much talent. Same with the Houston Rockets or the Oklahoma City Thunder, but Denver, they would give up these crooked quarters pretty much every single time. Belief and willpower. The Nuggets have to have both. If they don't have that, if they don't believe that they are a better defense and that they can do those things and that they're going to shut down the opposing team, then they never will. The Nuggets have to treat themselves like a good defense, and that means they have to work towards being a good defense. They have to be communicating. They have to be aggressive with their schemes. They have to know that when they practice these rotations, that when they sell out, when one player sells out on the rotation and busts their ass, that when they get beat, another player will be there to rotate. And then the rotation will be behind the rotation. It is all connected. And if Denver isn't able to do that, then they're never going to be able to. It's that simple. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the NBA Finals. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Let us talk about the NBA Finals. Let us talk about the Warriors versus the Celtics. Stephen Curry, Draymond Green versus Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. There's a lot of good players on these two teams. These are, I would guess, two of the top three teams in the playoff field. I thought that the Phoenix Suns would be here. I thought that it would be the Suns versus the Celtics. I think that's what I that's what I predicted at the beginning. And I was just shocked that the Suns were ultimately uh, embarrassed by Luka Doncic. And then the Warriors rightly showed that it was not necessarily a fluke, but that they were a much more dynamic defense than the than the Suns could be. Uh I was very curious to see how they would handle Luka Doncic, and they handled him pretty well, Andrew Wiggins specifically. But I'm always looking at trends. I'm always looking at the future, what these good teams are doing that a team like the Nuggets can really capitalize on going forward, what the Nuggets have to learn in order to be like the teams that won the title or got close. But we're going to see. We're going to preview this series a little bit. I am very curious to see how it turns out. I do think that I would pick the Warriors at this point, but 
it wouldn't surprise me if the Celtics won. They're a really, really talented team. Apparently, nobody can stop the Warriors, though. They beat Denver in five, Memphis in six, and Dallas in five. I think the Celtics have the best chance to beat them. I think they're simply a better team than Denver, Memphis, or Dallas, and they have enough guards and wings to match up really well with the Warriors' small ball. But they don't sacrifice their bigs in order to do that. Like, I can name a whole bunch of Celtics players Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. And none of those, like, all of those guys can be on the floor. And you can pick any one of Al Horford, Robert Williams, or Grant Williams to match up. I'm very curious to see how it's going to pan out. Here are some key questions that I have. Number one, will the Celtics run out of gas? This is a really big deal because like I said, Denver in five, Memphis in six, Dallas in five. The Warriors have played 16 games so far. The Celtics have played 18. They had a really easy series in the first round against Brooklyn, but then they played Milwaukee in seven games in what was a bloodbath, and then they struggled with Miami for seven games. Sure, the Warriors are a bit older, but they also know exactly what it takes at this stage. I wonder if the Celtics, if they're going to have the energy and they're going to be able to dig deep into their reserves to guard the Warriors scheme. They probably will. They're a very talented team and there's a reason they got here. But it is a key question for this series because it's very possible that the Warriors just blitz the Celtics to oblivion. Number two. Can Andrew Wiggins guard Jason Tatum as well as he guarded Luka Doncic? Now, nobody can shut down Luka. Nobody can. Like, it's the same thing with Jokic, right? Like, Draymond Green is as good of a defender on Nikola Jokic as we have ever seen. It took Jokic two games to figure things out, and then he ultimately figured it out in games three, four, and five. Draymond still had his moments. But Jokic was good. Wiggins, he was fantastic against Luka Doncic. He didn't shut him down entirely, but he made his life as difficult as it could possibly be. Can he do the same thing against Jason Tatum? Tatum is liable to have four for 15 games, five for 18, crooked numbers where he takes a lot of shots, not a lot of shots go in. And it can tank the Celtics' offense at times. I wonder whether Wiggins can have a similar impact against Tatum. I don't know if he's going to be matched up with Tatum as often as he was with Luka. But it is going to be very interesting to see how those matchups work out. I think the Celtics are still pretty well geared to have him come off ball a little bit and really create some of his shots while Wiggins isn't guarding him. Or like not not on ball. But we're going to see. We're going to see what they do. Both of these teams are really great tactically. And I'm curious to see what that manifests into. Number three. Are the Celtics perfectly tailored to defend the Warriors? As good as Andrew Wiggins is guarding Jason Tatum and Luka Doncic and guys like that. The Celtics might be even better when it comes to guarding guys like Stephen Curry, Jordan Poole, Klay Thompson. Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. 
those guys being on the court, whether it's three of them at a time or four of them at a time, there are going to be so many opportunities for the Celtics to switch great defenders with length and athleticism onto the Warriors' guards. And Steph can get a shot off against anybody. There's no questioning that. But if you were building a team that could guard Stephen Curry, this is as close to it as you could probably get. You'd probably get Mikhail Bridges out there in place of Jalen Brown. But Marcus Smart, the defensive player of the year, Jalen Brown, one of the best on-ball and team defenders in the NBA, Derek White, he's had success guarding Curry before. I think you've got these three bigs, Al Horford, Rob Williams, Grant Williams. All three of them have their own utility. And whether it's Rob Williams kind of defending in more of a drop, or maybe he's off-ball rotating, and maybe he's rotating off of Andrew Wiggins, and he's crashing into Draymond Green or Steph Curry on the when he's on the drive, there are lots of opportunities for the Celtics to make the Warriors' lives hell. And it feels like they have an excellent counter to the Warriors' small ball unit, especially. So we're going to see what the Celtics have for the Warriors. I'm very curious to see whether they can slow them down, whether they can stop them entirely, or if it's just a Warriors' bloodbath like I think everybody wants it to be. And the last one before we get out of here. If the Warriors win, does that elevate Stephen Curry into the inner circle of greatest basketball players ever? A lot of people have him ranked in the top 15 right now. Most people do, I would say. He's right in that tier with Kevin Durant and Oscar Robertson and guys of that nature where they're not necessarily guaranteed top 10 like your LeBrons, your MJs, your uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Magic Johnson, guys like that. Zach Lowe was talking with Marcus Thompson on The Low Post on Steph's legacy, and there's definitely a very strong argument that Steph, if he wins another title, is the greatest point guard of all time. It's at least credible. And it wasn't credible before when Steph was just dominating with his shooting, when he had two of the titles that were won with Kevin Durant to decide as opposed to just that initial title in 2014-15. If you win before Kevin Durant and after Kevin Durant, that is a big deal, especially in this day and age where there's been so much parity in the league right now, but it feels like teams are just getting better and better than ever. The bar is rising in the NBA right now, and though teams are trying to catch up with guarding Stephen Curry on the perimeter, with dealing with his level of shooting, they still haven't figured it out quite yet. And I think that if Curry wins this title, if the Warriors win this title, excuse me, then I would definitely have Steph Curry top 10. There's no doubt about it. Crosses into that threshold with Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal and Hakeem Olajuwon and guys like that. There are so many talented players in the NBA, and getting into that inner circle is so difficult. I hope that Nikola Jokic gets there, but it's very possible that he never does. Like Steph Curry's a two-time MVP, including a unanimous MVP where he was 
put up maybe the greatest season of all time in 2016. And he's not quite in the inner circle yet himself. He's won three titles. But he doesn't have a finals MVP, which is brought up against him a lot. If he wins finals MVP this year, he already won the Magic Johnson Award for the best player in the playoffs in the Western Conference. If he adds a finals MVP and another ring, makes it four rings the same as LeBron, that's insane. That is a extremely impressive accomplishment, in my opinion. And as many players and as many teams that have come close to touching the Warriors' greatness over the course of the last decade, nothing compares to what the Warriors have done. It's why they're so smug. It's why they have such a large fan base. It's why the following is so strong in general. It's why every kid wants to be Steph Curry at this point. It's because it's real. And it's because he has changed the game in so many ways that are more than just about shooting. They're about how you play offense and how you react to elite shooting. It's very interesting to talk about. I'm looking forward to seeing how the conversation pans out in the finals, because if the Celtics win, my God, my friend Brendan Vogt is going to go through hell. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna have a good time ribbing him for sure on his Tatum hate. Uh, but the Celtics could very well win this thing too. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. They might be a better team than the Warriors, which is insane from where they came from back in January. But it should be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Mile High Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support as always. I'll be back on Friday, I think. Probably going to take tomorrow off. I'm going to go on a couple of other podcasts that you'll probably see in your Nuggets feeds. Uh, But make sure to keep an eye out for Friday's podcast. We're going to get back into some draft coverage. I might drop my full big board in an article on Mile High Sports coming soon. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon.